Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Through the winter rain 
And you pledge yourself to me And that's why I sing Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips Ever be on my lips Your praise will ever be on my lips makes us whole and you shoulder our weakness and your strength becomes our own now you're making me like you you're clothing me in white bringing beauty from ashes for you will have your bride free from all her guilt and rid of all her shame Known by her true name, and that's why I sing your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be.
You know, it's good to, to start this new series uh, that we've got going that starts today uh, with you. Many of you just finished up the 21 days of prayer this morning. You watched the very last one, or maybe you're going to finish up the 21 days of prayer later on uh, today. That was just the kickoff to our emphasis around here at FCC uh, to be a light, okay? Be a light was not just a series that we were involved in for three weeks and then we were done with it. Uh, that was just the beginning of something that we are all about moving forward. And out in the commons, uh, you saw it maybe when you walked in, if you came in through the front, we have a light board that's out there. And uh, if you have not done this yet, we have out there a whole bunch of these little light bulbs. And uh, we wanna encourage you that, that you probably have five people that you know who are already a part of your world um, that need the light of Jesus in their own darkness. And so what we're asking you to do is to think through who those five people are, to write their first name down on one of these bulbs, and then screw that bulb into the display that's out there, and it lights up, and that's pretty cool. But um, do that if you haven't done that. We're going to continue to invite people to put those bulbs in the display, and we're going to continue to invite people to invite people. And as more people come and, and, and have more who are here, we're going to invite them to think of five people that they know that they could put on a bulb and that they could be inviting to, to come and hear about Jesus and hear about the light. And, and if you are able to invite the five people that are on your, bulb, your bulb and they all come and they all fill out light bulbs and you can build a whole new bulb, okay? And you can put that in the display and we'll just keep on going in that direction because this is an opportunity that we have to be a light. And what this is about is more than just, you know, putting names on a light bulb and, and, and screwing them in to that display, it's about this prayer. That display is gonna be out there for a year to remind us every time we walk through the doors that we need to be praying. God, show me how to be a light. Show me this week the way that you have designed me to be a light. Show me this week the people that you've already put in my life to whom I can be a light for you. That's not gonna stop. That keeps going, and, and even today, we're, we're taking uh, this step into being a light as we start into this new series. You know those movies that you, 
you watch that have the byline at the bottom that says, based on a true story? It feels like, maybe this is way in the past, but there was a time where if it said based on a true story, I kind of leaned in a little bit more because I really thought I was going to learn something. Like this was really real information that I, that I was going to learn from, from those movies, but it seems like maybe I'm getting wiser or maybe things have changed. But in the last couple of decades, if it says based on a true story, what that really means is that there were some events that happened and somebody overheard somebody else telling somebody else about those events as much as they could remember on a phone line that was kind of scratchy and they couldn't quite pick it up and then they wrote a movie about it, okay? And so the, the, the story has elements of truth in it, but it can't possibly be expected to be all entirely accurate. In fact, there's a new show that's on Netflix, and with every episode, it starts off with the byline that says, everything you are about to see is absolutely true, except for the parts that we made up. Uh, at least that's honest. But here, here's the thing. When there are great stories that are out there, sometimes the story is so good that um, we don't want to even figure out which parts are true and which parts are made up. It's just that good of a story and yet, there's still Google at our fingertips. And so when there's a movie that says, based on a true story, man, I am quick to pull out my phone and start looking up which parts of the story are really the true parts and which parts are made up. Because what I've come to realize over the years is that I have become far more suspicious that something isn't true than a believer that it is. And so I started to wonder, is that true with the story of Jesus Christ as well? Is the account of God becoming a man, dying on a cross, rising from the dead, is that something that we think of as based on a true story, but not all of the story is absolutely true? Or, or maybe... Is the story of Jesus something that over time has become far more of a fairy tale in the minds of maybe our culture and our society than the foundation of faith? Or is that the problem overall? Because it was Mark Twain who, who said this. He said, faith is believing what you know isn't really true. Is that where we are? Uh, let me dig down on that just, just a little bit. And, and ask this question or this series of questions. Have you ever had doubts about your faith? Have you ever had doubts about whether God is real? Have you ever questioned whether believing in Jesus and following Jesus is really just wishful thinking? Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, and you have some of those thoughts, and you have some of those doubts, and you have some of those questions, they just make you feel really guilty. But if you're here this morning, and you're just a guest here, and you're just kind of curious about things, and you're not at a place where you're ready to buy into all of this Jesus stuff quite yet, no matter what end of the spectrum you are in all of that, we kind of keep it to ourselves. We don't bring up our questions. We don't bring up our doubts. We just kind of keep those voices in, inside of us 
Because after all, in Hebrews chapter 11, whether we know the chapter and verse or not, it says without faith it is impossible to please God. And so we don't want to displease God. And so we start to think that it's wrong for us to have doubts. That it's wrong for us to have questions. But here's the thing. When you consider the story of the Bible, or even if you zero in on the story of Jesus, if you are a thinking person at all, you're probably gonna come up with some issues. You're probably gonna have some concerns about the story. You're gonna have some uncertainties. You're gonna have some questions. You're going to have some doubts. And to deny that is kind of a silly place to live. Tim Keller uh, writes in his book, The Reason for God, and this is a long quote, but hang with me. A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of a tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts, which should only be discarded after long reflection. Tim Keller's a really smart guy and kind of a wordsmith in his ability to put things together. What he's saying there is that doubt's a good thing because it leads us and it forces us to investigate. And Jesus is up for investigation He's okay with that. In fact, the Bible challenges us to embrace exactly what Tim Keller is saying. And it happens in a verse that we use for other reasons, but here's what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. Doubt is actually part of us coming up with the answers for the hope that we have. And so today, I want us to learn from one of the most blatant doubters that shows up in the whole Bible, and especially in the area of Jesus. And as I say that, some of you have already jumped to the conclusion that we're going to talk about Thomas, and we're not going to talk about Thomas. I know Thomas is called Doubting Thomas, and I think Thomas gets a bad rap, and I'm here to protect him, okay? Here's what happened for Thomas, okay? Thomas wasn't there when Jesus showed himself to some of the disciples after he rose from the dead. And so Thomas is told that the guy that he saw beaten and whipped, the guy that he saw collapse as he was trying to carry the cross up the hill, the guy that he then saw put onto the cross and had his, his wrists and his feet nailed into the cross, the guy that he watched for six hours struggle in agony on the cross and die, the guy who had been in a grave for three days, somebody told him that that guy is alive and he's asking for just a little more proof. I don't think that's an unreasonable request after all that he has witnessed, and it's certainly not a reason to call the poor guy a doubter. So can we leave Thomas alone? That's not even who I'm gonna talk about today. I just wanted to stick up for him. There's an applause for Thomas. Okay, so here's the thing. The doubting person that shows up in scripture is John the Baptist. 
which may seem kind of peculiar since John the Baptist is kind of the first person to identify Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, just, just consider all of this. This is the guy who sees Jesus in a crowd and he points to him and he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he identifies Jesus as the Messiah. This is the person who baptized Jesus in the Jordan. And he was standing in the water with Jesus when he saw the heavens open and he heard God proclaim, this is my beloved son and I am fully pleased with him. Or there's John 1.34, where in the message translation it tells us, I'm telling you, there's no question about it, John says, this is the son of God. That's how faithful, that's how trusting John is that Jesus is the Messiah that everyone has been waiting for for centuries of time. But near the end of John's life, while he's sitting in prison, while he knows that he doesn't really have a chance of getting out of prison, while things are not really going very well for John, John had doubt. And he asked a very important question of Jesus. He asked, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? This is John. This is the guy who pointed Jesus out in the crowd. This is the guy who baptized Jesus. This is the guy who said, for sure, without a doubt, I'm pointing him out. This is the guy. This is the son of God. That same person asks this question later on. Where does that doubt come from? Well, I I think it's something for us to learn from his doubt, because I think the doubt that John has comes from the same source of all the doubts and all the questions that any of us on this earth are going to have about Jesus. And the question that John is asking and the doubts that are rising up in John, they had reasons, they had responses, and they had a resolution to all the doubt that John had. So first for us, the reasons. Now the reasons for John's doubt and questions start with his circumstances. And he's in some terrible circumstances. He's in prison, and it's not just that he's in prison. He is uh, confined to a horrible, dark, humid, smelly dungeon of a prison. And he didn't even deserve to be there. And I'm not saying he didn't deserve to be there like I'm his defense attorney who's trying to convince you that that what they say he did, he didn't really do, or that what he is accused of, he he didn't really uh, do or do all as badly as they're making it out to be. There's no reason he's actually in prison except for the fact that Herod was offended by John. And that Herod's a little jealous of John. And so to get John out of the picture, he put him in prison didn't do anything wrong. On top of that, John had done absolutely everything that God had asked him to do. God had asked John to be kind of the lead team. He he was out there to lay the groundwork. He was there to prepare the way 
for the Messiah. And the moment that Jesus stepped onto the stage, John stepped back into the shadows and he was fine to do it. I mean, John was the one who said, look, Jesus must increase and I must decrease. But some time has gone by. And now he's rotting in prison. This just isn't how John expected his life to go. It's not how he expected his life to go after he stepped back into the shadows. I mean, if Jesus was in fact the Messiah, if Jesus was who John had declared that he was, then why in the world is John having to fight off roaches and rats and sewage while he sits in this hole that they call a dungeon? Why, given his circumstances, is the one that he declared to be a Messiah, the one that he kind of paved the way for, why has Jesus not come to rescue him yet? Have you ever had some of those thoughts going on for you? Going on for your circumstances, going on for your relationships, for your, your mental health, your physical health? Why? Why are you in this place? Why are you in these circumstances? Where is Jesus if Jesus is real? Circumstances that are uncomfortable and unpleasant and, and unexpected, they, they create moments of doubt and questions in our life. And when things really spin out of control and things really get messy for us and uncomfortable for us and kind of in places that we never thought we would ever be standing, we can find ourselves bringing up doubts and questions to God. Almost as if to say, look, if there is a God, we might say, then, then why does my mom have cancer? Or someone might say, you know, if there is a God, then why is my daughter sick? If there is a God, why did I lose two friends last week? If there is a God, then why do I keep working so hard and scrimping and scraping and saving as much as I can only to barely make ends meet, barely pay the bills, and still there are people that I know who are not followers of Jesus and certainly do not live godly lives, and they are raking it in. It seems unfair. And we start to wonder, how can that be true if God is real? And it's all because we have this idea, or we have these expectations in our life, that if, if God is real, then there is a way that things are supposed to work out for me in life as long as I have enough faith. Now put that to John's circumstances and John's expectations. John baptized Jesus and then Jesus started his ministry and Jesus started to teach and he started to preach and he started to heal and he started to interact with people and John saw it taking place and even while he was in prison he heard about what was happening but what was happening 
was causing him to doubt because sometimes it's not just circumstances that bring about questions and doubts into our minds. Sometimes it's our expectations. John had this expectation of what Jesus the Messiah would look like and what Jesus the Messiah would do. Just like other Hebrew people, John believed that the Messiah was going to to come in some type of political power and that he was going to overthrow Rome. I mean, John had actually said in Luke chapter 3, verse 16, one more powerful than I will come. And yet, as he watches Jesus, Jesus doesn't seem very powerful. In fact, if anything, Jesus seems far more passive. And he doesn't seem to be jockeying for any type of political placement at all along the way. John had predicted that the Messiah would gather the wheat into his barn, but that he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. But Jesus didn't seem to be showering down judgment on sin. Instead, there were all these moments and all these reports of Jesus hanging out with and and sitting with and having dinner with and just being around sinners. And so John began to wonder if he had prematurely named Jesus as the Messiah. Because sometimes our expectations are what bring about our doubts and our questions. Philip Yancey wrote about how expectations can mess with us. He wrote this, disappointment with God occurs when our expectations exceed our experience. When you have a wrong set of expectations, it can lead to disappointment. And God knew that about us. Isaiah 55, 8, God speaking and says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God knew that there would be things that would happen in this world and ways that he would function in his kingdom that would disagree with what we were expecting and what we thought he would do and what we thought was going to come about Sometimes God's ways seem too slow to us. Sometimes his ways seem unfair to us. But we've got to take a cue from John here. Okay, when John has doubts and when John has questions, he doesn't sit there in prison and just sit on his disappointment. He he doesn't sit there and and let it fester in his heart, these doubts and questions that he has. he doesn't kind of find some other cellmates that are there in the prison with him who can agree with him and can kind of, they can all kind of rile each other up and get really upset with, with all kinds of things that are happening in the culture and the world around them. John's not posting on social media the, the way that he feels about how things are going and, and whether Jesus is the Messiah or not. No, John gets a group of friends who can be mobile for him And he sends them to Jesus with one question. It's the question that we read in Luke chapter 7, verse 19. And the question that he had his friends ask Jesus is simply this. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Here's what we got to learn from John in this. It's not wrong to have doubts. It's not wrong to have questions. It is also not wrong to take our doubts and to take our questions to God. 
Okay, Galileo said this about investigation and discovery. He said, doubt is the father of discovery. So can we just kind of find some comfort and encouragement in that? And we may say, well, John could go to the source. Okay? John could go to Jesus because Jesus was on the same planet. Jesus was in the same realm, and he could send friends to go find Jesus physically and ask these questions. And that's just not who we are. We don't have the same advantage that John had. But I would say that we do. Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says this. says, faith comes from listening to this message of good news the good news about Christ. God's word is our good news. God's word is our way to go to the source. If you have questions, you have doubts, that's okay. Doubt is the father of discovery, but you've got to be willing to do the discovery. You've got to be willing to do the investigation, and the discovery is there and available for you right in God's Word. Here's the response that we need to have to the doubts and the questions that we have. It's not a, a response that says, hey, I'm going to run away from, from my faith. It's not a, a response that says, man, I'm, I'm going to, because of my doubt and my questions, I'm just going to give up on my faith. The, the response to doubt is investigation because the discovery is absolutely invaluable. Think about it this way. If you have a friend who calls you up and tells you that they just heard your name on the radio. And the guy on the radio said that if you will call the radio station, they will give you $1,000 cash, but you've got to call in the next 10 minutes. What do you do? Okay, now there's a possibility, because you know this friend, okay, there's a possibility that this is a setup. Okay? There's a possibility that they're pulling a prank on you. But it's $1,000. So what do you do? I mean, given the options, isn't it worth at least making the phone call? Because the upside is you get $1,000. The downside is the guy at the radio station has no idea what you're talking about, and it's funny to your friend. The upside far outweighs the downside. Now, Jesus has an offer for you that is way beyond $1,000 cash. The reward of Jesus is the hope of heaven. The reward of Jesus is forever spent in the presence of the creator of the universe. And it is yours by giving your life to Jesus Christ. That's what's on the line. And so if that's what's on the line, the doubts that we have are certainly at least worth the investigation. The questions that we have are at least worth the discovery. Because wouldn't it be such a waste of time to come to the end of your life and miss out because you never took the time to honestly investigate or to miss out because you never had the courage to make a decision? There have been some amazing doubters in the past who took the time to investigate. They let the questions and the doubts that they had ruminate enough within them that they wanted to find answers, and so they went searching to investigate and to discover. Augustine 
Martin Luther, John Calvin, C.S. Lewis, and Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel. I mean, these are some, some brilliant, honest doubters who asked questions but went searching for answers and they went to the source and when they went to the source to find the answers for the doubts that they had, they walked away knowing that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. John asked a question. He had doubts. And Jesus' response to the doubts that John had is the same response that he has to us. The response was evidence. Because after John's friends came and asked the question, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we've been expecting? Or should we look for somebody else? This is what we read that Jesus did next. At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Now, to some degree, it can be maddening to realize that Jesus never actually answered John's question. What we would love to read is that Jesus said, yes, I am the Messiah, you were right the first time, just move on. But that's not what Jesus says. Because Jesus wants John to do the investigating. Jesus wants John to make the discovery because when we do the work and we make the discovery ourselves, it is far more personal for us. And this wasn't a, hey, be amazed by all that I can do kind of moment. This was a moment where Jesus knew that John could recall the prophets. And so maybe John recalled Isaiah who said 700 years before Jesus was ever on the earth, in that day the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Or, or maybe he thought about when Isaiah said the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. Or the prophet Ezekiel who said in 37, 13, then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. And John mulled over all the things that his disciples had seen and it became even more concrete in his mind. He is the Messiah. He's just going about it differently than what I was anticipating. And then Jesus gives the resolution to all of our doubt in Luke chapter seven, verse 23, where he said this. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. We're gonna have questions about Jesus. We're gonna have doubts about Jesus. And if we let those questions and those doubts cause us to fall away from our faith, because we weren't willing to investigate and we weren't courageous enough to go into a discovery mode. Jesus is saying to John, just because 
I'm not how you expected me to be as a Messiah. Just because I'm not who you expected me to be as a Messiah doesn't mean I'm not who you need me to be as your Messiah. Same applies to you and me. We don't have to be afraid of questions. We don't have to be afraid of doubt because God's not afraid of questions and God's not afraid of doubts. So use your doubts as the way to grow stronger in your faith than you have ever been before. There are reasons for the doubts that we have. And the response to our doubt is to go to the source. And the resolution to our doubts and our questions usually leads us right to the evidence and proof, which is exactly where we're gonna go next week in this series, the evidence of Jesus. Because we shouldn't be afraid of questions. We shouldn't be afraid of doubt. We should be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. And this story that we have that brings hope is true. And none of it was made up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you that you allow us the freedom of questions and doubt. We thank you that your love would extend to us, not only to, to draw us to you, but to be there for us when we in frustration or in disappointment or because of circumstances or because of expectations that we uh, wonder what's true and what's not. And God, we would ask for your forgiveness of, for our questions and our doubts, except that we see that those doubts and those questions lead us to an even more concrete understanding and, and, and love and belief in you. And so God, what I would ask is that you would give us the courage to investigate, and the courage to make decisions that your word is true that your grace and your forgiveness is real. And would you give us the courage to share that truth that we might be a light to more and more and more people. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his actions. We thank you for his questions and his answering of questions with more questions and more um, investigation. But we thank you that in every moment, in every turn, at every question, he is truth. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me this morning. And maybe today needs to be a day that you say yes to Jesus. Jesus died on a cross and he rose again. And he did all of that to overcome sin and death that, that we would have to suffer. And he was our substitute, our sacrifice. But I say our, it, it was meant for you. It was meant for you as much as it was meant for anyone in history. 
And today can be a day that you say yes to Jesus, that you're baptized in his name. You can make that decision today. Or, or maybe a decision that you need to make today is to be part of First Christian Church. We'd love to have you with us as we uh, seek to be more and more like Jesus. And so we invite you to come if you have one of those decisions to make. Walk right down these aisles as we sing here in just a moment. But for the rest of us, it's okay to have questions. It's okay to have doubts. It actually doesn't shake our faith. It strengthens our faith. And it gives us these moments like right now when we get to lift our voice in praise and worship to our King, to our Lord, to our Savior, to our Messiah. May we lift our voices in praise to him right now. same God, you are the same 
Yeah.